So one thing that um, I appreciate about my mom, she liked to do a couple things. Number one, she always was a reader. She loves, she loves to read, and so that's, I got her a really cool book that I know she really wanted for Mother's Day this year. But one thing she also liked to do was journal. So one year, my mom had this great idea that she was going to journal our vacation, like everything that happened on the vacation. And so uh, when I was about 12, I have a twin sister and I have an older sister that's a couple years older. So you got two 12-year-olds, a 14-year-old, and the back of a 1972 Buick two-door Regal traveling 1,250 miles down 95. How many say that doesn't, that, that sounds like disaster. So, um, my mom's going to journal it. So works, I've never been to Florida. We've, you know, my, I had, my mom's grandmother lived there, had a house. We're going to go to West Palm beach, never been to Florida. We're so excited beach. I think it was February break. So we get in the car, the 1972 red Buick Regal. I think it had air conditioning. Uh, two door, we're all crammed in the back seat. So mom's journaling and she goes, first day, great. Kids are having a blast. They're excited about um, going to Florida. And then by the end of the day, end of the day, Barden is starting to irritate his sisters. So that's part of my life. So day two, uh, still in the car. It took us three days to get there. So uh, day two, uh, Barden is starting to get really annoying to his sisters. Sisters are not happy. Uh, she called my dad Bart. I'm Barden Jr., Barden Sr., but she called him Bart. She goes, Bart had to pull the car over at one point to settle Barden down. Day three, we left Barden at the side of the road on Route 95. <laughs> so that was our... Fun excursion. I'm just teasing, but uh, it's fun to read back over those things. So I appreciate my mom being so patient with Barden Jr., who was a very irritant with his sisters. But you have to be if you're a brother with two sisters, and that's it, you know, because I had no one else to fight with. So that, that was it. Um, I, I just want to wish all of you a happy Mother's Day, and I hope this is a great, a great day for you. We're, uh, we're in this series called U-Turn, Finding God's Grace, and we're, we're taking this huge dive into discovering what the grace of God truly is. And um, for those of you that um, are looking for grace or wanting to know what grace is or needing grace in your life or wanting to uh, offer grace to somebody else that you've been struggling with, this is for you. How many know that we all need grace at times? We need it a lot, don't we? And how many know we need to offer grace? And it's by God's grace that we're saved. And so today's message is really about living out this grace that God has given us in our lives. And so I, I want to I read a passage here in 1 Peter 5.12 to start off. And uh, Peter, he's writing to a group of people that are undergoing um, persecution. And what's interesting about Peter is the, the letter is a wonderful letter that he writes to these Christians that are undergoing persecution. But he gives them some really interesting wisdom at the end of the letter. And this is how he finishes the letter. This is, this is the wisdom that he gives to this group of people that are just struggling and struggling with persecution and, and just living out their faith in the world, which we all know is difficult to, to live out our faith for Christ in this world. It's so countercultural in so many different ways. But listen to what Peter says here in 1 Peter 5.12. He says, listen, I've, I've written and I've sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Peter's saying what you're going through and the trials and the suffering you're going through, don't, 
cast them aside or don't think that God doesn't care for you, don't think that God doesn't love you. This is actually part of God's grace for you. Now, now wait a minute, Pastor, put it, let's put a pin in here. He's, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense to me. Going through suffering and trials is part of God's grace for us? Yes. And what we're going to discover today is that even in our times of suffering and persecution, when things don't seem like they're working out, when life doesn't seem like it's going the way it is, I want you to realize that you can experience God's grace in such a deep way during those times. In fact, God desires to show you his grace in those times. And we're going to discover why he allows us to go through those things. And then he says this, stand firm in this grace. Don't let the grace of God move you. Don't let any circumstance move you, whatever you may face. Don't let this move you. Stand firm in this grace. And what's interesting about God's grace, grace, the teaching of grace is, is, is different from, from every other religious system in their belief system. Every other religious world system or belief is, is really based on you and your performance. Christianity is built upon God's grace in this faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And it's through God's grace that we are forgiven, that we're made right. And so we've defined grace as this. God's saving grace comes through the complete generos- generosity of God that is not merited. So we realize, and what we discovered the last couple weeks, is we don't bring anything to the table. That God freely gives us his grace when we don't deserve it. So the moment I understand that is the moment I understand how powerful and beautiful and lovely God's grace is. So grace is getting something we don't deserve. So here's here's the rub. I believe that we can grasp and understand God's saving grace. that, That it's by faith that it's by God's grace, that it's a gift, that it's not by anything I can do or my works that I can obtain the love of God or that I can obtain uh, God's forgiveness. It's all given to us freely through God's grace. Now, thank God it's not based on our goodness. And everybody said, amen, because we're going to make a mistake tomorrow, right? You're going to do something that you're going to second guess. Am I really saved or is God truly forgiving me? Or how can God accept me from all the stuff that's in my past and all the baggage? It's only through God's grace that he can do that. And everybody said, amen, right? So that's the good news. Thank God that it's not based on your performance. Because one day we're going to do really great. And the next day we're going to make a mistake and mess up. And then we're going to, did I do enough? And does my good works outweigh my bad works? Thank God my forgiveness And God and the forgiveness of my sin is not based on my works, but it's based on the work of Jesus Christ. So the question I want to ask you this morning is, how do we live in this sufficient grace? How do we live in God's sufficient grace where we say that your grace is enough? That that absolutely your grace is enough. That your grace is sufficient. that, that, That your grace is always sufficient, meaning that it's always enough. Now, Paul had this problem because... The Apostle Paul had this issue, whatever the issue was in his life, and he needed healing. And he was asking God, you know, God, can you, can you take away this ailment? And he prayed three times. And, you know, finally God gives him an answer. And this is the answer he gives him. He doesn't give him a three-step how-to. He didn't say read this book. He, he, basically, God gives him an answer, and I believe this answer is for all of us. And, and I, I believe the reason why we don't know what Paul's ailment was is because I believe every single one of us go through this exact same thing. 
Because I believe if we found out what Paul's specific ailment is, we can say, okay, well, he had an eye issue or he had this issue or whatever. But by not, by not telling us, God didn't want us to focus on the ailment. He wanted Paul to focus on his grace. Now catch me. This is good preaching right now. This is good. This is good. This is good. So, so follow me here. So I hope you're awake. Okay. Um, I hope you drank your expired orange juice this morning. You're all awake this morning. You had your coffee. Okay. So listen, here's the thing. What we can easily do in our times of suffering is we get so caught up in the ailment that we miss God's grace in the whole process. See for, for Paul, God wanted to show him something so much deeper. It wasn't that God wasn't concerned about what Paul was going through, but Paul was, but, but, but God wanted to show Paul, Paul, this is, this is how you're going to make it through. And I want to show you the depths of my grace that you would other, otherwise never find out if I didn't allow you to go through this. So l- l- listen, what happens here? Second Corinthians, it's written down for second Corinthians 12, nine, but he said to me, here's the answer. Here, here's, here's the answer. He says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in what? In weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. So what God was showing Paul is saying, Paul, listen, Paul did amazing things for God. God, through his grace and gifting, did some amazing things through Paul. And and, and God's saying, listen, Paul, I, I don't want you to become conceited. I want to keep you humble and I want to keep you dependent on my grace. This is where life goes awry for us. Where, where, where life goes off track is when we forget about the grace of God that we've been saved by. And, and what happens there is I end up start, I, I start depending on myself. And I start depending on my own strength. And how many of you know when we start doing that, things don't go well? God wants to keep us in a constant state of reliance on his grace. The same grace that saved you is that same grace that's going to see you through your life see you through the difficult things in your life. All the ups and downs, it's God's grace that's going to see you through this. So the greatest danger of not experiencing God's grace is self-sufficiency. That's the greatest danger. The greatest danger of not experiencing God's grace is self-sufficiency. It's when I begin to depend on myself. It's interesting. If we know that we're going to be saved by God's grace and, and forgiven of our sins and given eternal life, if we understand that it's completely done by God's grace and that's it, it's interesting how when we begin to take our Christian walk, we end up going back to works again. We end up going back to this performance-based relationship with God that's based on what I do. Do you realize that God's love for you is based on his unconditional love for you? There's nothing that you can do to receive more of God's love. He just loves you. Do you know that? He loves you in your good days and he loves you in your bad days. He loves you when you have a good hair day and he loves you when you have a bad hair day. He, he just, he loves you. He just loves you and he cares for you. And so if we don't realize that, then it's going to be based on our performance. Oh God, you love me more because you know, I did this or I did this for you. Mm-mm. Not, not in God's economy, not in God's kingdom. He just loves you. And some of you just need to hear that. That he just he loves you. He knows you're going to mess up. He knows you're going to make, make a mistake. And that's the wonderful thing about having a relationship with God is that we can come to him and find forgiveness and find mercy in his presence. So this is where God wants us to live. He wants us to live in his sufficient grace. So being strong and walking in pride will rob us of that, that grace. 
So basically, this verse flies in the face of conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom would say, be strong in who you are. Be all that you can be. Don't boast in your weaknesses. You know, I remember that Gillette commercial in the 1980s where it says, don't let them see you sweat. I remember that. All you old timers like me, right? Don't let them see you sweat. Don't, don't show them your weakness. Don't, don't be vulnerable. And, and this verse absolutely flies in the face of conventional wisdom that says, no, don't, don't let them see that you're weak. See, it's the idea that we have to hide our weaknesses and don't show or talk about your weaknesses. And God tells us just the opposite with him. In your weakness, I'm going to actually show myself strong. And that in your weakness, my grace is actually going to be sufficient for you. And so God tells us just the opposite with him. In your weakness, I will show myself strong. Um, John Piper gives us some interesting insight to the dangers of relying on our strength and not the Lord's power. Here's the problem. When we rely... Uh, on our own strength or our own power, here's what happens. First of all, if we are strong, we might return the insult with such an effective put down that the opposite, uh, you know, that the opponent would wither and everyone would admire you for our wit and our cleverness. And so me being strong, like, Hey, I'm going to come against this person. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, bring back an insult with them and how effective I am. And then my opponent's going to shrivel under my wit and cleverness. That's the problem. We rely on our own strength. Or the second thing here is if we are strong, we might, uh, we might take charge of our own fortune and turn back the emerging hardship and change circumstances so that they go our way. And we want them to, and, and then not be forced into this discomfort. So, so in our own strength, we may say, God, I don't want this thing. So I'm going to try to do all I can to get myself out of this. So I don't have to face this discomfort. And then God said, well, maybe I want you to go through this. Are you relying on me or my grace? Or are you relying on your own wisdom and your own strength to get you out of this discomfort where you're not going to find my grace and my peace? So the third thing here is if we are strong, we might turn back the persecution so quickly and so decisively that no one would mess with us again. See, the strongest people are the ones that walk in humility. Those are the strongest people. And that, that's what God was trying to teach Paul. Paul, I want to show you that the strongest people are the ones that are humble. And so, yes, I do see the, this ailment. I know this is difficult for you, but I want you through this ailment. I want you to realize that when you depend on me and my grace, even in your weakness, I'm, not only am I going to be sufficient for you, but I'm going to show you my power even in that weakness. So walking in God's sufficient grace means I'm giving him the glory. And it's easy for us to want to be the hero of the story. Look at what I did. Look at what I accomplished. Look at how I overcame. In doing so, we rob God of his glory when we take the credit. And see, when we go through these difficult times in our lives, when we go through uh, the times of suffering, God says, listen, in, even in that difficult time, you can point everything to me and show the world how, by my grace, I'm allowing you to, to walk through this and emerge through this in power and in strength. And the only thing you can point to is my grace. See, it would be the same as taking credit for something that I didn't do. And God doesn't want us to take the credit because when we take the credit, it's short-lived. 
But whatever we're going through, when we give the glory back to God and say, yeah, I'm going through this, but you know what? God's grace is so good and he's sustaining me. And that's the only thing I can point to is God's sustaining grace in my life. That's where God wants us to be. You know, many of you probably have read about the scandals last March about uh, some wealthy celebrities and other, uh, some wealthy people that, um, that bribe certain people to allow their children to attend some elite universities. Many of you probably heard about that story. Some paying thousands, some hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, one thing that was uncovered was uh, correcting SAT scores to make them higher or whatever they could do to, to get their children um, into these um, elite colleges. And it, so we, we know that it wasn't them doing the work. It was, it was someone else doing the work. And, and here's, what, here's what God is telling us. I don't want you to feel like you're getting through your situation through your strength, because when you begin to think with that type of mentality, you will rob me of my grace and you will rob me of my glory. See, that's where we need to be careful because we live in a society that just says, you know, pick yourself up by your, bootstra- by your bootstraps. You know, be all you can be. It all, it's all about me. And God says, I don't want it to be all about you because when it becomes all about you, how many know I get, I'm so selfish and I want the glory and I want people to look at me. And God says, I want people to look at me. I want your life to point to me. That even in your weakness, you can still point people to me. Do you realize that people's ears are much more open when you share your weaknesses than when you share your strengths? I thought I'd get one amen, but that's okay. That's okay. I'll give you next time, next time around, I'll give you another amen chance there, okay? See, God wanted to make sure that Paul would remain humble and dependent on him, making sure that Paul wouldn't take the credit. God's power is made great through the weaknesses of Paul, not through his strength. And, and, and so this is, this is the mindset that God wants us to have. If God sustains me through his grace... I can't take the credit. If God sustains me through his grace, then I can't take the credit. It's all by his power that I'm able to stand, that I'm able to live, that I'm able to give God the glory. And so once again, Peter says in his writings here in his letter to those persecuted Christians, he says, this is how you are to walk. And he gives us some practical ways on how we're to walk and, and stay in God's graces and stay with God's grace as a constant reminder uh, of who saved me and why God needs to be prominent in my life. And so Paul, Peter says in the same way, when you are younger, you must accept the authority of the elders. All of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives what? grace to the humble. So the more we bow our hearts before the Lord and walk in humility, the more we receive God's grace for our lives. When we walk in opposition to that and we walk in things that are proud or look at me or I receive the glory, God actually opposes us. And so we want to be open vessels to allow God's grace to continue to flow through our life. So Peter is actually quoting from Proverbs and Proverbs says this in Proverbs 3.34, it says, this he mocks the proud mockers but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed isn't that amazing so so i want you to understand that god does his absolute best work 
through our weaknesses. God does his best work through you, through your weakness. Don't buy the lie that you have to show the world how perfect everything is. And listen, I I know we live in this world. We have to put on this facade. We have to put on this, have this veneer on our lives that everything's perfect, right? And so what we post on social media or talking to people that we haven't seen in a while, we're like, oh, everything's wonderful. Everything's great. You know, my kids are perfect. My marriage is perfect. Everything's perfect, right? And we know that it's not. How many know, if we're just honest with ourselves, not everything's perfect. We all have struggles, don't we? And so it's amazing how we feel the pressure to do that because we don't want people to seem to to look at us and think less of us because all our kids aren't perfect or or someone may be struggling. I know some of that doesn't mean you pour out all your stuff to people. But you know what? It's okay once in a while just to, you know, just to say if somebody asks you, how's it going? Say, "I'm, I'm having a rough week. Could you pray for me? I'm having a rough week. I don't feel good or something's whatever going on in my life or some of my kids are struggling. And, you know, you don't have to give them all the details, but you can just say, hey, I I just need your prayers. That's where God's grace flows into your life. That's when God's grace flows and gives you that strength when we admit our weaknesses and we, 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 we admit that we need God. So God works the best through our weaknesses. God does his best work through our, our weaknesses. There's a... There's a story um, in the Old Testament about a man named, named Gideon. And what's interesting about this story is that um, Gideon lived in a time where it was just a very sad time in Israel's history, about 1,200, 1,300 years before Jesus' birth. And basically what happened is Israel came into this land that God promised them, took them out of Egyptian bondage, brings them into this promised land, into Canaan, and uh, wanted them to possess the land, and he was making them a great nation. But what happened is they began to turn their, their hearts away from God, and they began to serve the pagan gods around them, which caused great spiritual apathy uh, within Israel, and then they become oppressed by the very enemy that they were supposed to conquer. And so what they would do is there was a cycle where the enemy would conquer them and they'd cry out to God and then God would raise up a judge or a leader to help deliver them from the oppression of the enemy around them. And then for whatever, how many years it was, they would live in peace until that leader or judge died and then would start the whole cycle over again. And then they'd cry out to God and say, God, where are you? And then he'd raise up another leader and actually we're going to do a whole study of that this summer, we're going to spend, uh, I think, uh, about 10 weeks in the book of Judges and uh, looking at that specific book. There's a lot of great stories there. But in this story, there's this one judge and it, it, that God raises up, and his name is, is Gideon. And Gideon lived in a time when the, the Midianites uh, ravaged Israel, and Israel was so weak spiritually because of their disobedience to God. And so what, what God does is he's, it, it, Gideon is kind of... It was hard for them to get food at this time, and the Midians so oppressed them, and they were just living in poverty. And so Gideon is in this wine press, and he's threshing out wheat just to get food for them. And so Gideon's there, and and all of a sudden, God shows up to this guy named Gideon. Now, he's hiding out. He's afraid of the Midianites. And so he's hiding out, and he's trying to get food. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord shows up, and speaks to Gideon because he wants to use Gideon to rescue Israel from the Midianite oppression. What's interesting about Gideon's name, Gideon's name means cutter of trees. 
So God's going to use this guy who is cutter of trees. That's what his, my name Barden means uh, barley field. It's an old English term. Something to be proud of. <laughs> barley field. Um, and so you've got this cutter of trees, this person who's hiding out, this lumberjack who's hiding out um, in this wine press. And here the angel of the Lord shows up to him and Gideon basically is hiding out. And, and God hears the cries of Israel and calls on Gideon to, to, to lead them against this powerful Midianite nation. Listen to what the Lord says to Gideon. I want to I show you here God's grace. So here you have somebody who's not strong. Here you have somebody who's pretty weak. Here is somebody that's living in fear from the enemy. And I want to show you what God, God's grace does in his life. Judges 6, 12 says this. It says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you. What's the word there? I ain't seen no mighty warrior there. I'm seeing someone who's hiding out in the wine press, threshing wheat. I don't see any mighty warrior, but what God does is he sees the potential of Gideon that he does not see yet in his life. And it's only going to, going to come through the grace of God that Gideon will actually live up to his potential. The, real, the, real, the reason why some of you aren't living up to your potential is you're not living out God's grace in your life. If you want to live to the potential that God has for you, you've got to understand his grace. And so it got, boy, that was another amen spot. Come on, nine o'clock crowd. You got to work with me here. Preach with me here. All right. So here we go. So he's, he's hiding out. He doesn't see his potential, but God does see his potential. That's grace. He, he doesn't deserve to be called this mighty warrior because he's not a mighty warrior, but by God's grace, he sees him as someone that God can and will use if he becomes obedient to the word of the Lord. So dropping down a couple of verses, Gideon now has this, has this question and answer. So he speaks to the Lord. He said, but Lord, Gideon replies. Now it's interesting. Now let me do, can I just take a little side note just for a second? Will you let me do that? This is pretty cool. Look at verse 12. When, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, the angel of the Lord, then he replies back, but Lord, I believe with all my heart, this is a prefigure of Jesus Christ. So whenever you see the angel of the Lord in scripture, especially when you see that in the Old Testament, very true. I believe this, that this could have easily been a, a pre-incarnate uh, uh, appearing of Jesus speaking to Gideon himself. Somebody gave me an amen there. Thank you for that amen. Yes. All right. So he says, but Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? First of all, my clan is the weakest. We're the weakest. We don't have all the power in the tribe of Manasseh. And I am the least of my entire family. Oh, now. So here you have the, the least of the tribe and the least of the person in their entire family. You're going to use me. It's exactly where God wanted him exactly where God wants us. Then the Lord said to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as, as if you were fighting against one man. At that point, I don't know if Gideon laughed. You got to be kidding me. It's going to be a lot of grace there. So here God reminded him that even though he may have felt weak and his family may have been insignificant in comparison with the other tribes, God would be with them in spite of, of the lack of credentials. 
So now we see grace. We see grace in calling him mighty warrior. We see grace in God saying, okay, I know you're the least of the tribe. I know you're the least uh, of your tribe. Grace, 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 grace. I'm going to work through you through my grace, even though you don't deserve it, even though you may not be the most powerful, it's going to be my grace. It's going to work through you. Okay. So you think, okay, this is cool. So God's just going to work through Gideon. End of the story. Well, it gets, it gets, it gets even more humorous. Okay. So let's, let's move on here. So Gideon assembles a troop of, a troop of 32,000 men. Got the guys with me. I got this powerful army behind me. We're ready to go into battle. Because um, we're going to need every single one of these men because the Midianites are huge. They're a big army. So we're going to need every single one of these men. End of story, right? Not so fast. So let's, let's move on to the story. Judges chapter 7. It says, there are the armies of the Midianites, the Midians, Amalek, and the people of the east that settled in the valley like a swarm of of locust. And guess what? Not only was it a huge army that was coming against Gideon, it, they said it was just like a swarm of locusts. That's all they could see is these men. Not only that, but the Bible tells us that they had camels. Now, if you were able to ride on something, game out, game over. They're going to completely wipe out Israel. So their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore. Two many to count. So not only this huge army, they got camels. They have camels to fight against them. Camels alone are just nasty animals. You know, they're just, if you ever ridden on a camel, they're not pretty. They're not nice. They're nasty. They'll bite you. No, I don't know. But they're, so they've got all these camels and let's go, let's read on. So let's go back in, in chapter seven. So the Lord said to Gideon, Listen, you've got too many warriors with you. Wait a minute, wait a minute, God. They got camels. We don't have camels. So you've got too many warriors. He says, if I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast in me that they save themselves by their own strength. Uh-oh. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So guess what? You guys can read, right? 22,000 guys said, I'm out. Thanks. I, that's all I was looking for, Gideon. I wasn't ready to fight. You know, have fun. We'll see you later. 22,000 guys left. So now they're down to 10,000 willing to fight. 10,000. 22,000 leave. 69% of his men leave. Then, then God says, this is still too much. Are you kidding me? Still too much. So they go down and he says, this is what I want you. I want you to go down to the water and have these 10,000 men drink the water. And those that drink lapping the water on their knees uh, without using their hands, set aside those guys that drink with their hands that lap with their mouth. And so he goes, this is what I want you to look at. You got, you got all these guys that um, are getting down on all their knees and they're, they're drinking like this. He goes, I want you to set those guys aside. And the guys that get down and they drink with their hands, I want you to set aside those guys. Those are the guys I want you to keep. Now, I have no idea why God separated the guys that were drinking, maybe like a dog would drink, or the guys that used their hand. Maybe it was more polite. Maybe it was like, hey, these guys are polite guys. These guys aren't animals, okay? They just, so whatever you heard preaching about, well, they have one hand, listen, 
The Bible doesn't tell. So whatever you heard about, oh, well, they have one hand on their sword, so they're ready to fight. We don't know. We, we don't know. For all I know, it was just these guys were more polite. I have no idea. But he sets aside those guys. There was only 300 men that drank like this. 300. We went down from 32,000 to 300. That's 99% of the men that are gone. 99%. See, I want you to understand. This is what I want you to understand. This is, this is amazing. Gideon lost 99% of all his original men. It's with those 300 that they actually won the battle. See, who ultimately wins the battle in our life? It's God. See, God wanted to show them it's not through your strength. And you can read that for yourself because it's interesting what they did. They just caused, they didn't even have to fight the, the Midianites because they just, what God had them do, just put them in complete confusion. They were fighting each other and God completely won the battle without them having to battle. See, the story of Gideon is not about Gideon and his strength. It's not about Gideon thinking that he's strong. The story is about Gideon putting his complete faith in a God who is strong and relying on his grace for his strength. Now listen, I wish I could tell you, I wish I could give each and every one of you a band-aid to put on all your sores and the things that you've gone through in your life and why you're going through these certain things. I wish I could give you an easy one, two, three step. Hey, do this, do this, and do this, and everything will be better. I, I don't know, but I do know this. Everybody's got a story. We all have our struggles, but it's the same grace that works through all of it. You see, what God wants for your life is not a one, two, three step on how to get out of this. What God wants to give you is his grace. That will give you strength and that will bring his sufficiency in your life. That when you are weak, he is strong. So you're going to be saying to yourself, I don't know how I'm getting through this. I don't know why God's given me a peace. I don't know what. And listen, it's an everyday thing. You're going to wake up the next day and that same trial is going to be there. So does that mean you're not going to have the worry or the, or contemplating that? No, God says, well, my grace is sufficient for this day. Each and every day, I have enough grace to sustain you through whatever you're going through. And it's in your weakness that he's going to show himself strong. So it's with this understanding that we find an endless supply of God's grace. An endless supply. You see, whether it's the Israelites who are fleeing from the Egyptian army and they've got the Red Sea in front of them and they've got Pharaoh's army behind them and Charles and Heston opens up the Red Sea. Remember that? And so they all go through on dry land and then eventually God closes up the water. You know, it, it, once again, that's all about God's grace. They were completely dependent on God's grace to save them from the Egyptians, to show them later, to say, it wasn't by your strength. It wasn't by Moses. It was by my hand that I saved you. Never ever, ever forget that. It's the same with David against Goliath, right? You got little David and he's got his armor on, 200 pounds of armor. His, the tip of his sword was 25 pounds alone. And you got this huge, massive warrior against little David. And David, all he comes with is his stones. Okay, you got your pebbles? Good. Hmm, that's nice. But what did David say? David said he didn't come in his own strength. He came in the strength of, of the Lord, his God. And that's what slew Goliath. It was God's grace and gifting that he gave to David 
to take down the giant. It all points back to God. It all points back to God and his grace. That in those impossible situations, like how is this going to work out? How am I going to find strength? It comes back to God's grace. I become completely dependent. So the more I'm depleted of myself, the more God's grace will fill my life. The more I'm depleted of myself, the more I will find God's grace. So God's power is made perfect in weakness. God's grace is sufficient in our weakness. And what this points us to is, is a beautiful picture of the cross of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it just for a moment. The cross seemed useless, pointless, meaningless, powerless. But how many of us understand that it's through the cross we find our salvation? And in fact, Paul even said it this way. In, in 1 Corinthians one eighteen. Paul said, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. And they're saying, really, the cross? <laughs> what, a, what a senseless death execution. But we understand, we understand that it's only through the cross that our sins could be taken care of. What, what people saw as weakness, God saw as his greatest work, his strength for you and I. And that we know that eventually Jesus, three days later, conquers death through his resurrection to show that he has power over death and the cross. See, the cross seems useless, pointless, meaningless, powerless, but it's through the cross that we find our salvation. So Paul said the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed to destruction, but we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. In fact, the cross now becomes a symbol of power in our lives because it's through the cross of Jesus Christ that we find forgiveness of our sins, that we find newness of life, that we see our sins covered through the precious blood of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he offered for us that none of us deserved. Jesus, who was perfect in every single way, took our punishment that every single one of us deserved. That's grace. Tim Keller says it so well. He says, God does not simply work in spite of our weakness, but because of it. So listen, you may be here today and you may be saying, man, pastor, number one, I don't feel worthy. Or maybe you feel like, man, I'm a, I just don't feel like a good mother or I feel like my kids are struggling. What did I do wrong? You know, you may look back over your past and you say, man, I've made these little, I've made all these little tiny mistakes and they've all added up in my life. And am I really a candidate for God's grace? You are. In fact, that's exactly where God wants you. So what he tells us, instead of bringing all our strengths, right? You know, this isn't a job interview where the, where the interview person says, you know, tell me some of your weaknesses. Well, my weakness is I'm just too much of a caring person. You know, my weakness is I just work too hard. I'm a workaholic, right? God says this, I want you to bring your weak. I, I know you're not perfect. I know that you've made mistakes. Now let my grace cover you. Let my grace be sufficient in your life. Let my forgiveness flow over your life. And let's be people that live in that grace. But let's be people that are vulnerable, that in our weakness... We allow people to see God's strength within us. See, that's what the world's looking for. They're looking for authenticity. They're not looking for a bunch of phony people. They're looking for people that are authentic, that struggle, but realize that it's only through God's grace that we can make it. 
And so all of a sudden, we stop pointing to ourselves and trying to do it ourselves over and over again, and we just get to that point to where we fall on our face before God, and we just say, God, I can't do it without you. And I just need your grace. For some of you, that's what God's been waiting for. You've been kind of fighting with God a little bit, right? God, I love you. I love you, Jesus. But, I, you know, I, I just don't know. And I'm just, and, and we just kind of wrestle around with God. And God will keep wrestling with you. But guess who's going to win? God's actually going to win that wrestling match. But he wants you to get to that point to where you just surrender. Where you just surrender. And you say, God, I just need your grace. And watch how his grace pours into your life. All these stories are about God getting the glory. Your story is about God getting the glory in your life. All your gifts, all your talents are because of God. Everything we have is because of God. Let's point it back to him and say, God, I want you to have the glory. So let God's grace pour into your life. Amen? Let's not miss it. Let's not miss God's grace. Let's stand firm in this grace that he's given us and watch how he gives you strength for all your individual struggles that you may have in your life. Just turn them over to the Lord. It's okay to be weak. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to be honest with God. That's exactly where he wants you to be and watch his grace give you the strength and the sufficiency that you need for every single day in your life. Just let me leave you with this one thought. This one thought. This is good. It's not my notes, so that's good. The manna in the wilderness was what? We don't know. It means what is it? We don't even know. It's some type of bread. It came from heaven, right? But we know that this manna, this bread, whatever it is, sustained the Israelites in the desert. Without it, they would have died. But guess what? God used that manna each and every day. They weren't to collect it. Why? Because the next day maggots would be on it. He didn't, he wanted them to rely on them each and every day. Let me say this to you. Don't rely on yesterday's manna for today's grace. Man, that's good. I just got, that's, that's some good stuff coming out of here right now, guys. Listen, because that's what we do. We, we get, we struggle because we keep thinking about last week and this, and then we're like, well, God's saying, Hey, guess what? I got new manna today. I got, I got grace today. Don't worry about yesterday or two weeks ago. I got manna today. It's fresh. It's good. It's not day old. Doesn't got maggots on it. I want to give you my grace today. And there's enough of it each and every day. So when you wake up the next day, fresh supply of his manna. You got to lay it down again. Don't rely on last week or yesterday's manna. Each and every day, God, God gives us a new supply of his mercy and his grace if we just are completely dependent on him. Amen. Amen. So let me pray for you. Would you bow your hearts with me today? Let me just pray for you today. Father God, we just come before you. We thank you for your word today. And I just pray for those that are just depleted today. Maybe they're just kind of worn out. I just pray right now for a, a fresh supply of your grace in their lives. That as we humble our hearts before you and as we lay these things down, we just admit, God, I can't do it without you. I am depleted. I am worn out, but I need a fresh supply of your grace. And Lord, I, I pray that we would never rely on our own strength, our own abilities, because we will rob you 
of the wonderful grace that you desire to give us every day. And I pray that our lives would be literally trophies of your grace, that our, our lives would always point back to you and your glory and what you've done for us, that even in the weak things of our lives, we can say, you know what? This may not be perfect, but God's grace has given me strength through it, and I'm giving God all the glory for it. So Lord, help us not to hide those things, but to actually glory in those things so that you receive the glory that's due your name. So I just thank you for this day. I thank you for your word, God, and just help us to walk in that grace now. In Jesus' precious name, in Jesus' precious name. All God's children said, amen.